of the crop rises to the podcasting top. Yeah, the mega powers of podcasting madness, Lord Everett DeVore and co-host Diego. The Diego and DeVore Show, uh-huh, that's what I'm talking about. Snap into it, it's the Diego and DeVore Show. Ooh, yeah. Pro Wrestling, Paranormal, and All Things Entertainment. From parts unknown, way unknown, here they are, Lord Everett DeVore and co-host Diego. They are the Diego and DeVore Show. Welcome to another episode of the Diego and DeVore Show. Unfortunately, again, Lord DeVore is still on vacation, and I know that he was just at the Poconos, and now he's making his way to Martha's Vineyard. I know he's got a little house over there. That'll be an understatement of the century, but uh, he'll be back with us probably in the next couple of weeks, ready for action. So let's just get down to it. We're going to look at one of my favorite wrestlers from the WWF days. And it's one of those things to where that's the great thing about having a podcast is actually a little self-serving because I could bring in guests with subjects that really interest me. If it's not UFOs, pro wrestling, or Bigfoot, it's everything I loved as a kid, as an adult. The subject of tonight's show, a former Intercontinental Champion, former WWF Tag Team Champion, along with Rick Martell that were known as Strike Force, and also a WWF Hall of Famer. See, I don't say E. We're talking about one of my favorite wrestlers, Tito Santana. The book, Don't Call Me Chico, is out now and available through WOHW Publishing. Please welcome author of the book, Don't Call Me Chico, Kenny Casanova. Kenny, welcome to the Jago and Divorce Show. Thank you for your taking your time you even to be with us. Well, what's up? What's up? And no uh, big deal on not having the lordship here. We don't need him anyhow, right? <laughs> <laughs> He's having a hell of a lot more fun than I am tonight, tell you the truth. Might be. He's out there at that one ski lodge the other day, but that's a story for another time. Let's talk about, before we talk about the book, very interesting subject to me, Tito Santana, criminally underrated. But, you know, we're going to get into that, but I've been looking at your website most of the week. I'm going to flip this page over here in my monitor, and I'm looking at your bio. Man, what a life. You. (laughs) All right. Brother, well, let's start with one thing, because let's get into what you've been doing your your career because and it starts back when you were doing ring announcing in 1995 for the WWF. What a way to start! Yeah, man. There was a guy named Bill Dunn who uh, I used to go to some shows right around the time I started training in upstate New York for wrestling, and we would kind of rib him. He was a ring announcer that was filling in for the Fink, and uh, I would bring Bill Dunn signs to the show. And then at some point, he said, "Oh, you're training stuff," and he gave me a couple of guest ring announcer spots, which was super cool to him. I cool of him. Uh, bringing out uh, for guys like Owen Hart and Ahmed Johnson and stuff around that time. Um, and soon after that, I went to formal training and uh, started doing a little wrestling, did a lot of managing, and then took on pretty much all kinds of uh, pretty much everything behind the scenes as well, you know, kind of booking the cards and promoting shows and traveling up and down the Northeast. And uh, that's how I got into it. And uh, uh, Bill Dunn, I guess, was kind of, First one to give me a little bit of shot, even though it wasn't really his place to do it. He did it. <laughs> right. Jumping at WWE ring and, you know, a couple of times up in Albany area. Yeah. You know, right place and right time. And so yeah. let's talk about what you were promoting. Well, who you were promoting for. Was it for something you were doing or for somebody else? So when I promoted, what had happened was, is I uh, finally went to training in a place called USWF out of Elmira. Uh, maybe a name you might know, HC Loke. He was another guy who trained there. Um, he went on to Ring of Honor and uh, was part of uh, uh, 
uh, Wrecking Crew and or what was any of his uh, his group, the Baldies and ECW, um, Carnage Crew and Ring of Honor. Um, anyhow, uh, we we worked some for USWF, and I started going up and down uh, Northeast area, and uh, I helped promote um, for World of Hurt Wrestling, which still runs today. And also our own promotion uh, called New Breed Wrestling. This was back late 90s where I would bring in guys like Bundy and Iron Mike Sharp and Nikolai Volkov and Superfly Snuka and a lot of the Northeast guys. And we would run uh, upstate New York, above New York City, about two hours north of. With all that you've been doing, because, you know, your career keeps going on and on. Where did you find time to start writing books? Yeah. So uh, connected to the wrestling, um, I I was more of a manager for a long time. Uh, actually, the very first guy was back around 1988. It's Captain Lou Albano was running a sh- an independent show, a fundraiser for MS in Binghamton, and uh, I was still in high school. And um, he he put it out there to people with the MS um, fundraising uh, group out that way that if you sold tickets to the show, you would get to eat uh, dinner with the wrestlers after the show and you get free tickets. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And I got to hang out with captain Lou and he told me some about the managing and there were all kinds of people there. Samoan SWAT team at the time was kind of hot, brand new, uh, Tony Atlas, Sergeant Slaughter, Colonel De Beers was there. A lot of guys like that. And, um, he got me interested in the managing, you know, and then maybe some six, seven years later, when opportunity arose, I went off to a wrestling school. Um, my managing gimmick was kind of like a lounge lizard, kind of karaoke singing. I would sing guys to the ring to get, you know, um, bad heat. I would sing like Britney Spears or Tom Jones, stuff that the audience would boo. Um, that turned into eventually me DJing because some people would book me for parties. They'd say, hey, can you come do karaoke at this party? Which kind of made me split my time with wrestling and, and professional DJing. So I was doing a little both for a while. Um, and I also got a teacher's license, started teaching English. Uh, all that kind of rolled in together for the book career because what happened was is I, I, I played kimchi a number of times for Kamala on the independence. And when he lost both legs uh, to diabetes, I contacted him. I said, hey, man, why don't we uh, try to do a fundraiser for you? We set up a Kickstarter. I said, I'll write a book see what we can get on there for the uh you know um donations and help you out with medical costs and he said yeah let's do it you know and uh they made me talk to his financial advisor as he would call it first just to make sure it was all on the up and up and i call up uh coco beware is who answered the phone <laughs> and coco picked up the phone he's like now listen kenny i gotta tell you you gotta, uh, you gotta treat them good if you're gonna take them on and, and the whole thing and put me through the ring and I'm like no dude it's all legit you know and all we we put the book together it was my first one and that led to Brutus Beefcake which led to Danny Davis which led to Vader then led to Sabu uh, and I think that's where Tito came in and uh, there was one just incredible uh, just came out wow uh, yeah so it was yeah. it's, it's quite if you follow it it's funny because it kind of goes wrestling into uh, DJing into teaching into uh, you know writing you know and it kind of all tied somewhat together maybe not so much as the DJing but the DJing uh, pulled me out of the wrestling which made me want to go more into the wrestling and that's why I started writing because I could do the books you know anytime didn't have to be on a Saturday when when the weddings are and stuff like that so um, it's funny how all the things kind of tie in together to make me get to this point. (laughs) No, I mean, looking at it like this, there's no getting out of wrestling. Once you're, I mean, it's yeah, you're addicted. 
Yep, that's what it is. It's a yeah. junkie, junkie rush, right? <laughs> right, because I, I mean, I was in independence for so long, and then I stopped, and then I try to get myself out of it, and there's just no way, you know, that's yeah. how it goes. Well, let's get into Tito Santana, the book Don't Call Me Chico, with a lot of books out there about pro wrestling and, and the personalities. And I'm going to ask this question. I don't mean it to sound bad, but why Tito? I mean, Tito hits all the bullet points of what you want in a wrestler. He can cut a promo, a hell of a performer, hell of a storyteller, a great run as IC champion, a great match with Macho Man. My, one of my favorite tag teams was Strike Force, and I like the storyline how how they formed and how the and the breakup, which I kind of think it was short lived. I think they could have got more miles out of that. Man, Tito's the man, especially when a young Hispanic kid like me growing up in DC area. You know, yeah, a lot of us really looked up to him. My opinion, armchair quarterback Booker. And I'm not a real fan of that, but I think there is so much more we can do with Tito. But but why Tito? Okay, so when I was growing up, Hulk Hogan was just becoming a thing, right? So, uh, uh, but he was almost unattainable, and he was big, huge, monster, larger than life. But Tito was kind of like relatable working man. You could picture hanging out with him. He was cool. You wanted to root for him because he was real. You know, um, he didn't have this, uh, uh, you know, cartoony larger than life Hulk Hogan type persona. He was like a real wrestler, right? And um, he, you knew uh, in his promos, you know, you didn't always know if he was going to win, but he says he'd come out there and give it all you got, so you give him something to root for, hoping he would win. So with the Hulk Hogan, uh, a couple years in, you saw that dude was going to win no matter what, right? <laughs> so right. I think as a kid, when I was growing up, one of the first uh, TV feuds that I remember was him and, and Greg the Hammer Valentine. I remember Greg... You know, and uh, I think it was with Brutus, right? They came down there and uh, they broke his leg and they messed him up and they made it so he was gone a couple of months. If you read the book, you'll see that actually he had to go and have a legit uh, operation done on his knee before the feud even came about. And the whole point of the feud was so he could be, you know, off the shelf for a couple of months while he was healing up his leg. He had to have a, a, a knee, uh, something to do with his knee uh, operation. Um, and the original guy they picked for that was Paul Orndorff, but Paul had some heat backstage for a short time, right when they were setting that up, and it didn't come it didn't come into play. Anyhow, um, the whole Tito Santana training and coming back, and then learning the figure four to use that move against Greg, I just thought was like awesome storytelling that he would master the move that put him out, and then use it on on him, you know, um, and then uh, become Intercontinental Champion and and stuff. I thought it was awesome storytelling. You know, it wasn't like the Hulk Hogan deal where they would feed a big giant to him and he would dethrone him and move on to the next big, you know, monster. So I think I really liked that. I thought that was a cool storyline. And like you, uh, Strike Force was, was super cool. Yes. Um, you, you'll see if you read the book uh, at that point when they were going to break up, uh, I think Rick Martell had to leave for a period of time when he was ready to come back. They were both kind of fighting behind the scenes to see who could be the heel if they broke up. Tito actually wanted to be healed, but... He's happy now, though, because he, he's one of the few guys that never went heel on TV. He stayed babyface his whole career, and um, pretty cool, you know, pretty cool to, uh, to be able to say that. There's not many people who can. I think maybe Ricky Steamboat's one of the other guys. Uh, about that, that's about it. Yeah, I can't think of anybody else. I mean, even um, some of the, big, the bigger stars that came out eventually had a heel turn and then came back and be a face all over again. Yeah. How did this come about? And it's going to be the typical question of how did you make that contact with Tito and how did he agree to have a book? Uh, kind of through Brutus Beefcake. So I wrote the Brutus Beefcake book. Tito had a book back in the day and it wasn't great. It was a hundred pages. 
uh, and it was kind of kayfabe. So like in the book, you would kind of hear Tito saying like, you know, I went out there that night and I gave it my my hardest and I just came up short and just didn't win. And we know that that's not really how it works. You know, uh, just didn't win wasn't really a factor. It was I just didn't have my name circled on the card that was on the back, <laughs> you know. So uh, I thought it was he was due to also have like a good, you know, 400 page book like some of the good autobiographies out there today do. And um uh and to actually tell it with some of what was really going on behind the scenes. So uh he agreed. We actually started the project out as a remix of the first book. We were just gonna take the book and add a couple things to some of the stories and tweak it up. And in fact, a lot of it was that to start with, because it was his book. And then it turned into go, oh, let's add more, let's add more, and it and it got it got big. I do want to go back and tweak a few things because some of the original writing is in there. Um, in a few spaces, so you might see a couple editing issues that I'm not super happy with, and we'll fix that eventually uh, on the second print. A couple of misspellings of things, but uh, independent books tend to have a little of that here and there, and, and I'll get to it, and we'll, we'll make that happen. But um, I do think we did him justice in putting out more than a remix, more than just uh, rehashing and fixing up that 100-page book, because now it's like 400 pages, and uh, we added so much to it, so uh, pretty happy with it. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot to cover in his career, so because I know there's a lot of information that goes in books and mentioning people's names. Did you have to get any special permission from from Vince or anybody in WWF? Uh, not really, because he had already done that legwork the first time around when he put the original book out. The original book, Tales from the Ring, is what it was called. Uh, him is just him and a buddy that was a college teacher, uh, kind of put something together, and like I said, it was like hundred and 20 books in Microsoft Word when I opened it up and we transcribed it. Um, it was like 80 pages in Microsoft Word. So it's pretty small. There's a lot of pages, you know, pictures in it. So we were able to use the same pictures and the whole deal. And, um, you know, with, like him and my other guys, usually when I put the book together, I'm kind of an anti-publisher. Um, I try to split it with the wrestlers, you know, so that they uh, get a good piece of the pie. A lot of publishers will just pay a couple grand uh, advance and then, uh, they get like, you know, a royalty, like 50 cents or a dollar on each book sold, something like that. Um, but the way that I do it, you know, they get like half or more, you know, they'll get a good chunk of it and um, be able to print more on their own because they own it. So uh, it's sort of like the best of both worlds. It's like publishing and it's sort of not like uh, publishing in that they get to own that and cut the middleman out kind of deal and a lot of the wrestlers like my platforms so that's why they jump on with me because they're used to shady promoters screwing them out of you know their own name <laughs> so uh i think that's why i'm doing decent with it we're talking about promoting events whether wrestling or otherwise let me tell you about an event that we're promoting from two guys sure. who are not to are not two shady promoters True. the diego and divorce show we're going to be doing a live meet and greet on sunday march 13th from 12 p.m to 3 p.m we're going to be at the uh strasburg flea market with special guests mad max morrison anthony athens future superstars we're going to be at the strasburg flea market at 110 north massanutten street strasburg virginia 22657 that'll be on sunday march 13th the first ever Gigo and Divorce Show meet and greet with our special guests, Mad Max Morrison and Anthony Athens. And while you're at the flea market, I'll tell you folks, I picked up a few weeks ago a couple of the old LJN figures originals. I got me a Magnificent Don Morocco. I got me a Jimmy Hart. Got me a King Kong Bundy. Cool. Man, I, I spent... <laughs> 
I spent some money that day. Go in there and buy whatever you want. They have comic books. They have G.I. Joe. They got He-Man. And they even got a 12-inch Mr. T I saw the other day. So Strasburg Flea Market, 110 North Massanutten Street, Strasburg, Virginia, 22657. The first ever Diego Divorce Show meet and greet with our special guests, Matt, Max Morrison, and Anthony Athens. Back to the Diego and Divorce Show, our guest, Kenny Casanova, the book, Don't Call Me Chico, talking about one of my favorite wrestlers. Tito Santana. So, Arriba. Mr. Can- Arriba, Strike Force. <laughs> I have a story, but I'll tell you a story about why I yell All Strike right. Force around my house after the show because my wife will kill me. So, <laughs> it's a beautiful story, I swear. You don't hear a lot of full lot about Tito. In fact, as long as I've been around wrestling since 1993, Independence, and I've ran into Tito a couple times. Great guy. I've never found one person that had one bad thing to say about Tito. So in this book, what kind of gems can, and I don't want to give away the book or spoil it, but what kind of gems can we find out about Tito that we don't already know? Uh, well, some people might not know that by now he's uh, a school teacher who has taught school longer than he actually wrestled. So his second career, uh, and everybody should have a plan B if you're a pro wrestler out there today, it's super to have that next chapter in your life figured out before you get to that page, right? So um, he did, and he uh, became a substitute teacher, which turned into a gym teacher. Actually, I think it turned into a Spanish teacher, which turned into a gym teacher. I'm pretty sure. Uh, But either way, I think he's retired now. So he went the whole course of the school year, went into retirement. Um, So, yeah, he a lot of people don't know that. Also, he has a family business uh, uh, hair salon. So, and he would tell his kids, you know, if you or the parents remember me as a wrestler or know that, uh, you know, I had something to do with it and want to come and uh, get an eight by 10 or talk wrestling, you could come Tuesday nights over to the salon. He would save it for that. But school time was school time. So if they're at school, uh, he didn't really engage in, in any of that talk. So uh, kind of neat to hear the other life of, of Tito Santana after wrestling and that he was smart and saved his money and uh, you know did a good job with uh, having a plan b when when times end you know because uh, not many people still can do it 60 70 years old and he still goes out there and makes appearances and he still stays in it like you and i said being addicted to some degree he still has that uh you know that craving uh, once you get in that spotlight it's hard to turn away from it so uh, he still comes out and sees the fans and stuff every weekend when he can. Great positive story because, you know, you've been around yeah. long enough. This is like I've been. You've seen some of the good stories. You've seen a lot of the bad stuff. I remember, yeah. and I'm never going to name any names, where it was a, a wrestling legend back from NWA and forward where I know he was making a ton of money while he was active. And the last time I saw him, he was in a motel room somewhere in Carolina with a can of pork and beans and a broken down Chevy Nova. Yeah. Still trying yeah, to live that Mickey Rourke movie. There, the wrestler, uh, depicts a lot of guys. You know, it's unfortunate that's how it is, but uh, people are smart, they save the money along the way and have that plan B and get their, you know, get their um, their mindset that there's other things outside of the ring after you create a name and stick with it. And but you know, um, you can do okay for yourself, certainly. You can learn a lot of stuff out of the wrestling. I did, uh, I learned how to communicate and tell a story, which led me to. Uh, go on and get my teaching degree, and I went the same route Tito did, um, taught English, still teach English, taught it 20 years now, and I uh, sharpened my writing skills and enough that I could go back and into wrestling with, uh, you know, a different thing to bring to the table. So making, you know, money in the uh, writing industry as well as teaching uh, when I couldn't as much do wrestling stuff uh, in the ring because also on Saturdays I, I became a, a wedding DJ. 
So, and that paid much better than wrestling manager, which was either 50 bucks a show or as you know, hot dog and a handshake. <laughs> so, Right, fifty bucks a show. You must have got a raise because I don't remember the days being that good. When so, I first started, I yeah. could make a hundred bucks managing, and this mm-hmm. was back ninety four or so. But we didn't just let just anybody in. And come ECW time, when they started to put a focus, I think on uh, not larger than life wrestler, but more uh, making the wrestler look like you, and you could more. Um, relate to the people that you were looking at more so than look at them as being larger than life. Uh, I think that's when everybody opened their own wrestling gym and then there was such a pool of wrestlers that people would pay the promoters to wrestle sometimes. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? But Going back, because I know Tito had a great run and then yeah. something upset me, not about him, but what, what they did with him and with the whole El Matador. Oh, yeah. Not a fan of that. Yeah. I just think that it's, here, go do this because you're Mexican. Or because, yeah. you know, a Hispanic guy, be a matador. It doesn't make any sense to me. But that's the 80s and 90s mentality. It doesn't translate to today. Yeah. But A little bit after- of that ethnic thing they were playing off of, right? And also WWE style, which was cartoon. So they put the two together and came up with a bullfighter, which was kind of bullshit, as you know. <laughs> oh, for real, yeah. yeah. But then a- after his WWF run, yeah. I remember seeing him, and I don't even know, what is I think Pro Wrestling USA something like that where every match was two out of three falls you know some weird shit like that yeah and yeah, then yeah. it's almost like he disappeared I mean you didn't see him in Nitro or anything yeah. else it's almost like it was okay I'm done is that what happened or am I reading that wrong that's kind of what he went full force into teaching and uh, he really was um, pretty strong about quitting when he did he said it was time. Uh, Vince let him on for a while, finally gave him the Matador thing, and then he saw he didn't really like it all that much. And uh, um, They did tip the hat to him, though. He was always loyal. He didn't go to Nitro, didn't try to make a payday somewhere else uh, other than different independents. Him and Slaughter started up AWF for a period of time, uh, did a little indie thing that had a bit of a syndication TV show. Um, but Vince didn't find that a threat, really. Uh, it was pretty indie. Um, and they brought him in. He was in the first class of the WWE Hall of Fame, you know. Uh, so it's been more him staying away from WWE than WWE really turning their back on him per se. He's just never really made himself available. He was the type of guy that whenever he could, at the end of a wrestling show, if he could drive home, he would drive home. He didn't want to be away from the family. And he got to a certain point where he said, I've made enough money in the sport that for me, it's more important to be home with the kids and with the wife than it is uh, to be out in the road and trying to make more money for them um, because I have money coming in and I don't need it as bad. So uh, nice, you know, good ethics, I would say. Good work ethic, good, you know, uh, uh, quality uh, family. Who do we call that? Uh, used to be a term for that. <laughs> so it's a good family, man. Good, so good family, man, yeah. He's he's a baby face in the ring and a baby face in real life. I, I mean, yeah clean cut guy but that's one of the things about him i think maybe he did the smartest thing of all had he stayed there longer i would want to be remembered the tito santana that was on top of his game instead of just watching him slowly descend not that he would but you know there's times where not that they age out but i think that maybe the company would like see less use in him because things were changing quick at that time yeah but they always kind of threw him a bone because he stayed loyal Mm -hmm. and he was with Vince Sr., that was his first mentor uh, in New York, was before Vince McMahon Jr., and Jr. Uh, kept those guys around for as long as he could. Uh, you know, to, hats off to him. A lot of people 
shit on him and you know and maybe he has stuck around long today i don't too long today i don't know but um he's kept pretty much as you know all of the guys he was pretty much uh given to by his father became family and he took good care of them i mean toward the end there was a survivor series where i think they took the winner of each team and put them in a team of their own and uh, it was like Hogan, Warrior, and Tito. I don't know if you remember that, but that was like the three that came up to their own team uh, at, toward the end. So, I mean, that pretty much kind of said uh, who he felt, I think, at that time, uh, who he owed the company to, Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, and Tito, you know. So, uh, pretty big deal. I can't remember which one it was. Survivor Series, Jeez, I don't know. I'd guess yeah. 94, I don't know, 93 or something like that. <laughs> Well, it's on Peacock if you want to find out Tito. It'll, it'll be on there. So going back, well, let's talk about your website because I know I can talk about Tito all night long. I want to get into where we can purchase your book, especially Tito's book, which will be next on my shopping cart. So your website is wohw.com. It's, it's hilarious what it stands for. <laughs> yeah, walking on hot waffles. Uh, yeah, come on. Again, yeah, uh, give me the story. All right, so... Uh, as I said before, I ran with uh, an indie up here for quite a bit. And I was, um, I was of the old school mentality where you had to go all over the place, and I did, man. I, w- I wrestled and uh, and was on shows and ring announcing and managed um, all up and down the Northeast from probably as low down as say Carolina is up to Maine. Like I did a whole big, real legit territory from '94 to say 2007. Um, where I drove all over the place, but I did have one home promotion where a lot of guys these days kind of stick to their home promotion and really like, you know, um, fill it out, fill out the cards for their home promotion. Mine was WOHW, which stood for World of Hurt Wrestling. And I was a booker backstage. I wrote a lot of the angles. I did ring announcing. I did managing. I wrestled on the card. I did all kinds of stuff. Um, uh, And I owned that domain, WOHW.com. Eventually they picked up wohwrestling.com and I still had wohw and when I started up my thing it was kind of an homage to them and keeping that domain alive I reassigned the letters to walking on hot waffles which to me uh, I I had to come up with you know words that would be significant and uh, you think hot coals um, and you think waffles being goofy that's kind of my writing I've got I've got violent stuff in there I've got behind the scenes uh, my formula for all the books kind of have the same thing it has a lot of humor and it also has um, the brutal dark side of wrestling kind of mixed together and I try to show both of that wherever I can um, Tito was smart and didn't have as much of that type of stuff but did tell some stories where that stuff happens. So I still was able to get that formula in there. People like the funny and they like the, the brutal. Um, that's where I came up with that. It has nothing to do with waffle stomping. So if you look online and you want to see what a waffle stomp is uh, when you're in a shower and you just can't make it to the toilet, it has nothing to do with that. Uh, yeah, don't Google that. You don't want to know what comes <laughs> up. <laughs> no, but no, there's nothing better. Pro wrestling and waffles, they, they do go together. But yeah, In the morning, I'm making waffles. Got that right, brother. And we're going to get to a little bonus extra on what I found here that I found very interesting. All right. And I'm going to wrap up 
the Tito conversation here a little bit. I mean, like I said, I, could, I can go on all night with Tito. So without giving too much away in the book, which can be found on Walking on Hot Waffles, WOHW.com, get yourself a copy of Don't Call Me Chico. How I did have be- to plug my phone in here. So keep talking, get your question ready, oh. and I'm going to plug my phone in while we talk here. Well, I'm good at talking. It's the best thing ever for me to be talking about this, actually. How did it start with Tito? Because I know you, you said he had a great relationship with Vince Sr. I don't know an awful lot about how he started, but how did he, how did he get where he was as far as being with Vince Sr.? Uh, let's see. So, Tito, you're talking? Yes, sir. He uh, started, um, actually, he was uh, one of the uh, Texas All State. I think he was a big football player. Uh, worked with Tully Blanchard. A lot of guys came out of there, actually. Terry Funk, uh, I think Stan Hansen. Uh, Vader was a football player down that way. A whole deal. They all, uh, a lot of them came through Texas. Um, and he uh, was working with Tully Blanchard until he kept pushing him to get into wrestling. It really wasn't what he was looking to do. Um, and uh, eventually he started doing a bunch of stuff um, for those guys, worked, worked for um, Texas and Amarillo. He worked for uh, the Funks there. Um, and back then, the territories, the way it would work is once you uh, either, uh, you know, were surpassed by another name or they didn't have anything for you, they would just move you to a different territory. Eventually, he made his way up to, to New York. And that's where uh, Vince McMahon Sr. took a liking to him. I think they put him on a show. They called him, wasn't Tito, it was Tino, T-I-N-O. He was Tino Santana. At the beginning of the show, come intermission, they went and they said, hey, man, we want to call you Tito. We think it would sound better on the mic. He's like, "Uh, whatever, you know, it's cool with me, whatever you want to do. So uh, he was willing to switch his name. And he said that same show, he changed his autograph mid-show. So earlier in the show, he was signing Tino. <laughs> and by the end of the night, he was Tito. And uh, he just kept listening to what Vince Sr. had to say. And eventually, Vince Sr., I think, kept him for a year or two and said, hey, I want you to go and get more polished and do this over here. And maybe he went to AWA, and that's where he first started working with Rick Martell a little bit. And when he came back up, he was even better, and that's when they really started pushing him. And uh, after that, uh, he said one day, Junior came in and said, hey, you know, I'm taking over the, the deal. Um, and, and he did. And uh, like I said, to his credit, he he stayed faithful to the guys that his dad had put over. So uh, it was good for him. Yeah, he was definitely a company man. And, and I yeah. think it paid off pretty well for him. Yep. So, yeah, it seems like it. Uh, he was he was always brought in, always had a bit of a spot somewhere. So. Uh, didn't really leave him out until toward the end when he started to age out. They did have that uncomfortable uh, conversation where he said to Vince, look, I think it's time. And Vince said, you know what? You're, you're probably right. I just didn't want to tell you. <laughs> you know, and that's how it ended in the end. So, you know, what I would say, Vince is a decent guy, no matter you know, what people say about him. You know, he takes care of his people. Yeah, he does. And he did for quite a long time. I think some people now want to see him go uh, just because he's older and uh, maybe he's out of touch or what have you. And, uh, None of us really knows exactly what goes on behind those doors, you know, so it's tough to say. Uh, but I would gather, too, if it was my company and I was 70 or, you know, however old he is, it'd be tough for me to take something big and just go here, go, you know, run with it. It would be, t- you know, maybe they should. Maybe shouldn't. I don't know. That's his whole life. That's all he's known. Yeah. So it's like the reverse. Everybody loves Raymond. It's like everybody hates Vince now. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. 
probably you and I were around the same age, probably plus or minus a few years. But you know, Vince was a big part of our childhood. So I mean, it's hard yeah. to hate a guy that does that. Yeah, and I was always loyal to it too. Like I would watch that first over anything else, and I probably because of my loyalty to the product and because uh, you know that's what I grew up watching on TV. I didn't much watch other stuff if it was difficult for me to have to make the choice. I always went with WWE, you know. Uh, growing up early on, I watched World Class. Uh, I watched some NWA. I watched some AWA. But really, uh, I lived in Boston area and I lived in New York, uh, upstate New York area. So those two areas really got Vince's stuff. And that's all I knew, you know. I there, knew there was other stuff out there and I tried to watch it. Same here, because I, I lived... In the DC metro area, that was that was a Vince thing, and but you couldn't really. Vince was kind of smart because this area, all they played was WWF, wasn't superstars or wrestling challenge and wrestling spotlight. What it was that the only way you could watch anything else, if you had to have those rabbit ears, you wrap them up in tin foil, you might get an NWA show yeah, somewhere, yeah. but you can't see nothing. But Vince My was dad it. was a preacher, and uh, he would you know teach church and Sunday school, and the way it would work is it would be Sunday school. And then afterwards, there'd be a sermon where it became more church, right? So I'd go to the Sunday school part. During church, I would sneak out and go in this back room, and I would I could see a little bit of Memphis. And I remember watching Jerry the King Lawler wrestle and go, and I don't know how. Like you said, we had, like, uh, the tinfoil rabbit ears gimmick going, and somehow we got a couple of channels, and I could see some Memphis. And I remember knowing who, uh, you know, the King uh, Harley Race was, and thinking this dude's ripping off Harley Race, this is bullshit. <laughs> I, had no, I had no idea that, like, no, actually, it might have been the other way around. <laughs> yeah, because that's what brings me to the next, the next subject. Something I found very interesting. It's something that really kind of dropped the face of pro wrestling history and talking about protecting a territory back then because like i said only thing you could really see was vince's product so you don't never know if there was a heel ref anywhere else and when we're talking about heel referees a slow burn we're talking about dangerous danny davis <laughs> yes with, with the whole heart Man. foundation and the bull and the british bulldog storyline so we're talking about mr x the life story of dangerous danny davis i saw this like really a book about danny davis i really we gotta dig into this and oh we're coming up on the time but i don't think it, another one where he doesn't get the credit he deserves because i think he did he was a, an amazing ref before he became a heel ref and then yeah. that whole storyline and then he wrestled a few shows put on those ridiculous tights and he did a great job oh yeah yeah, man, uh, he was trained by the best, too. Uh, basically, uh, just to give you background on the book, he had, uh, I wouldn't say he nagged me to do it, but he was waiting for a spot where I could work with him on it. And uh, during my writing of um, the Vader book is where I started to get some of his done because uh, Vader was difficult to work with. Super nice guy to me. Uh, might have been stubborn with some people, but there would be periods of times where he would go dark is what him and I, uh, him and himself and his son, we would say, uh, sometimes he doesn't want to work on it. He doesn't want to be bothered. Um, you know, he wants his own personal time. So I couldn't really talk about book stuff. He didn't want to do it. So during that period of time, I started doing some of uh, Danny Davis and he's from Boston, you know, up my way. So, and we had done a bunch of shows for a dude named Mike Sparta together, WWA it was called. Uh, WWA put out a lot of guys. They had um, uh, Tom Pritchard was there and uh, was using it a little bit as a camp. This is before, before John Cena, that whole deal. Um, 
and they they cranked out a handful of different guys that kind of got signed. Like Brody Lee came from there. Uh, Aaron Stevens, who was uh, Mizdow, uh, he came out of there. Uh, and I worked with all those guys before they did anything where they were brand new. Anyhow, um, Danny Davis was there quite a bit, and we used to hang out. He would kind of do some of the booking on the card and stuff. So I knew him from that. And man, I told you that guy was smart and he just knew a lot of stuff. And he would tell me these little stories and he, um, he was a tough kid growing up. He was in a gang. Like they would go out and fight in the street for money and, uh, you know, do all kinds of mean stuff. And eventually one day he said, I need to stop doing this. He was pretty much almost homeless. Like he, he had a single mom, uh, situation where they didn't even have room for him in the new house that he was in. So he didn't have his own room, even in the house. He would go and stay over at other people's houses and ended up sleeping in a basement of some place. And he was tough, but he kind of decided at one point, I need to start doing the right thing. I need to start like bettering myself. So um, when I heard that, it reminded me of another book that some kids might have read in high school called The Contender, which was by a guy named, he's a sports writer named Robert Lipsight. It was about a boxing kid. Uh, same type of thing, was in a bit of a gang, did a bunch of bad stuff, and eventually turned his life around and learned that through the training of boxing, even if he would never get a you know, a championship fight, just being the contender, being the guy that's trying to climb his way up, um, he was learning all kinds of discipline. And I saw a parallel of that with Danny Davis, so I tried to really bring that out in the story and um, did it through almost a wrestling lens. And um, we saw Danny uh, go and start setting up chairs, so he could get some tickets to the wrestling show. And then they asked him to help set up the ring and they made him a ring crew. And then he eventually took over uh, the driving of the ring truck and became the head guy of making the ring go back and forth. And then the wrestlers uh, had him start refing. Uh, then the refing led to, you know, taking some bumps in the ring and actually learned how to wrestle. And he wore a mask. So then he now he's refing and wearing a mask. Uh, then eventually uh, got put in a stable with, uh, you know, one of the top managers at the time mouth of the south mm -hmm. jimmy hart booked up with the hart foundation which are legendary and uh got to you know headline in wrestlemania 3 and one of the you know co-main events so um he did it all he got he got right in there and people hated him like he was yes like, i was underrated. one of them yeah right <laughs> when i was a kid yeah like Tito Santana. when you look back you don't think about it but like if there was a period of time you could look at him. He was probably got the loudest boos. <laughs> like people, because he was supposedly a guy in power. He was a referee that could, you know, uh, cheat and help Macho Man Savage beat Tito Santana for the Intercontinental Championship. So uh, awesome dude. And uh, I think people will dig that story. I made it an easy read and I made it like a high school read rather than to go the 400 page um, and really deep dive into his career. We went more the work ethic and doing the right thing and um, always being able to have a plan B and uh, know when it's time type of situation in that book. It's an inspirational read and um, quick read, uh, 250 pages, I think, something like that. And uh, hopefully a kid will pick it up someday, you know, uh, for a choice of a book, maybe on a, on a class list, you know, over the summer and uh, read it at school. <laughs> so. No, it'd be a great book for today's wrestling fans. Yeah. You know, you got to learn about the past so you can appreciate what's going on now. You know, yep. appreciate the folks that put in the hard work. Totally, man. Keep the legends alive. Hey, you got that right. Before we go, sure. I know you have a, a lot on your plate because, you know, judging from the bio, what you're doing. So what's next on the list? 
with the books? Are you taking a break from the books or are you going to keep going at this? Uh, I'm still going. On top of the writing of the books, you can go to whw.com. You can see some of the books I published too, meaning I help the guys get the books out. And a lot of times I don't even try to make any money off them. I don't want the book out there. I just want the keep the legend alive. I want the stories not to die with the wrestlers. I've seen a lot of guys passing away. It's unfortunate. And uh, these stories are stuff that I think uh, should be preserved because they'll be here long after them and us and whoever, if they're in book form, they'll be immortalized in paper. Right. So, um, uh, you know, I hear inkling that somebody was working on a Shabo, uh, Shabo Guerrero senior book. So I contacted that guy and it was kind of just, it was written just kind of hanging out, needed a little editing. I made all that happen with him. And that book came out, uh, last summer. And the same thing with a Herb Abrams book, UWF, uh, same thing with, um, we're working on Ken Pateras. We're going to have Ken Pateras out soon. Uh, help the Lance Von Eric guy get his book out. So uh, there are a handful of books, uh, that I've done that with, uh, we got Bugsy McGraw came out with Ian uh, Douglas, who's a phenomenal writer, but, uh, turned him onto the same platform as me where we cut that middleman out can make it, uh, you know, when a publisher puts their hands on stuff there, you have, uh, certain rules you got to follow you might only be allowed to have x amount of pages but when you can get a good uh, ghostwriter self-publisher on the situation we could print a thousand page uh book on jake the snake roberts if we want and the only person who could say they didn't like it would be jake the snake roberts there's no middleman saying no we can't do this um so uh yeah so we got some stuff in the works i'm finishing up an odb book for impact wrestling just for something different uh, I wanted to do a girl and I wanted to do not WWE and not ECW and not WCW. So that's what we did. And also, um, I'll tell you, Mick Foley emailed me and asked me to write the book and who's going to tell Mick Foley? No, nobody. <laughs> so said, right, dude. Right. I said, I'll do it. You help me, man. He, he put, uh, he put a couple forwards, a couple guest passages in some of my books. So I said, you, you want me to do it? We'll do it. So finishing that up, I got a draft, uh, minus a chapter two and, uh, out to her and she said fix this change this and we're kind of in that stage now so we'll probably see that maybe in the summer or so after that i think i'm not positive but we did start something with um the good brothers i last fall i started writing a little bit with gallows so we might see that come out um, i've done some stuff before that kind of got shelved and didn't come back to it and then it does come back you know a year or two later so uh, i got a bruce pritchard book like that out there that might eventually happen when he leaves wwe um, we got 200 pages on the shelf and he got hired. So now we don't want to put it out. <laughs> right. Um, uh, above and beyond that, I'm romancing, um, a name I said earlier, I'll tell you off the air. Uh, I don't want to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that's what we got going on right now. Justin Credible just came out. Uh, people might remember him as Aldo Montoya, Portuguese man of war. <laughs> we all remember so, him, of course, but yeah. especially with his work with ECW. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but I had fun writing all the WWE stuff in there, though. Uh, you know, looking at his days, uh, starting with, uh, you know, Monday Night Raw, right, and, you know, at the beginning of that show. He was there right at the start, putting over a lot of guys. He helped uh, polish Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, right when he started his whole thing. with the, He was the first guy to get the stunner um, before the show. <laughs> like, they figured out that they're going to do it, I think. Michael Hayes came in and they, they all worked together to make the stunner happen. And uh, he did the whole faker taker. I don't know if you remember the fake undertaker. He was there for that. And 
He rode with the clique all up and down, man. He was really an honorary, like, mascot member of the clique. So he drove them. They would get drunk and messed up, and he was their driver. So uh, he's tons of clique stories. So I focused on all that stuff and a little bit of ECW, too. So, uh, Oh, no. I'd like to, you know, maybe later this year if you have time. I know you have a few things in the work. Come back and tell some of those stories, man. I think sure. our listeners would love to hear that. Yeah, that's good, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Um, and if people want to check out the book and stuff, any, any of these books, uh, I got Kamala, Dangerous, Sandy Davis, Bruce Beefcake, Vader, Sabu, uh, Tito, and Just Incredible out right now. Uh, you can pick them up at wohw.com. If you want to read more about me, you can check out kennycasanova.com. Awesome. And to know more, a little bit more about the Diego and Divorce Show, you go on facebook.com forward slash Diego and Divorce Show. On our Twitter, at Diego and Divorce. And my Twitter, at co-host underscore Diego. And we'll be talking all things pro wrestling, paranormal, UFO, and cryptozoology. But before we go, one more time, I'm going to do another shameless plug at the Strasburg Flea Market, Sunday, March 13th, 12 p.m. to 3 p.m. The first ever Diego and Divorce Show meet and greet. We're going to have Mad Max Morris and there anthony athens the future of independent wrestling is they are those two guys they're actually they're really great guys but they really go out there and perform they really work their ass off it'll be at the strasburg flea market 110 north massanutton street in strasburg virginia 22657 and unlike the last show i finally said strasburg wrestling i said it correctly it's strasburg strasburg great people in there correctly incorrectly <laughs> and that's what happens that's what happens. Live to tape, though. I'll fix that in post, perhaps. But be there if you can. His lordship will be back from vacation back then. He'll be signing autographs as well. Tonight's conversation, man, I can go all night. Like I said, the book, please check out Don't Call Me Chico. Visit com. Get all the books that you want. Danny Davis book, Tito Santana, Kenny Casanova. He's writing them all. Mr. Casanova, thank you for being on Diego and Divorce Show. I look forward to having you back later this year when you release your next series of books. And uh, Sounds good. Man, it's yeah, going to be you. awesome. Awesome. Thank you, sir. All right. And before I go, I'd like to thank our new listeners in Finland and also here in the U.S., the listeners in Spring Grove, Pennsylvania. Thank you for supporting the Diego and Divorce Show. And for his lordship, this is the Diego and Divorce Show. Catch you on the next one. The Diego and Divorce Show. Every week, co-host Diego and Lord DeVore talk about pro wrestling, paranormal, entertainment, and beyond. Catch them on anchor.fm slash Diego dash DeVore Show. Spotify, Good Pods, Google Podcasts, or your favorite listening platform. Learn more at facebook.com slash Diego and DeVore Show or on Twitter at Diego and DeVore. It's not just a podcast. They are the Diego and DeVore Show.